Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Momentum Focus Podcast. This episode is a installment of a series that we are calling This Story Matters. I hope that you will lean in, listen in, and learn something about the people around you that God has called you to both love and serve. I would love to hear back from you to know the ways that this episode has spoken to you, um, has reminded you of who God is and how it has helped you adjust your focus. Until next time, stay blessed, stay humble, and be kind. Hey friends, this is Amia Freeman. I am back for another episode of the Momentum Focus podcast. Um, And as always, I try my very best to bring you a conversation, whether it's myself giving you some insight of what God was having me sit with, um, even in the mucky stuff, or I get to share the microphone with someone who's doing work um, that represents the kingdom Every conversation that we have here is with an invitation to help you to adjust your focus, to really consider what has your attention, what has your heart, where are your hands, um, and what does your community look like? Y'all know that focus here at Momentum Focus represents the phrase, finish our commitments unapologetically stronger. And in this current season, we have really been diving into the message of our because this podcast, the work that we're doing, none of it belongs to just us. It is a community effort of A, looking around the table to see if your community looks like you. B, are you actually stepping outside of your four walls to realize that the work that God has called you to do to the Great Commission, it starts in your house, but it has to get outside of your four walls, whether that be your home or your church or your gym wherever you are. Um, And oftentimes that means breaking down your expectation of what that community is supposed to look like. Um, So to carry out this conversation again, um, in the spirit of looking at what does our people look like, um, I have the, the honor of bringing on today's guest that I have been following his ministry work Um, through an organization called Love Beyond Walls, which is based here in Atlanta. But I recently started understanding his heart and the work that he's doing um, in his personal feed through um, a a fellow freedom fighter, I'll call her. Um, and And it was because of 2020. So like for the people that say 2020 sucked, it did like tremendously. But there was some beauty that came out of the ashes of that. Is the work done? Absolutely not. And I'm going to stay loud till the work is done. Probably not till Jesus comes back. But until then, we carry on. Um, Y'all, today I get to share the stage, if you will, um, with Terrence Lester. And Terrence is, he's a speaker, an activist, an author, um, a thought leader, 
y'all know I love that phrase because it kind of like stirs up some it stirs up some stuff in people. Um, and his his platform is on systemic poverty. And today, this conversation might go a little bit different than y'all are used to hearing here, but I can guarantee you this, that it's gonna stay in the rhythm of what you've heard us talk about before. And that is adjusting our focus. Because if we're only thinking about it the way we've always thought about it, there is no change that's gonna happen. There's no growth. Um, change ain't change until it's changed is one of my one of my pastors taught me years ago and sometimes that change rubs us like sandpaper but it's smoothing out the rough stuff so without further ado I am going to turn the microphone over to Terrence to let him really just kind of share his heart about the work that he's currently doing and then we'll just dive into the conversation so Terrence welcome Mia, thank you so much for having me. Um, it was just a pleasure to hear you talk about making connections and moving um, beyond the four walls and identifying your people. I think uh, those are essential. And also, I think those are what really glorify, glorifies God. Um, for the last almost almost decade now, I have been doing the work of building longer tables to include um, our neighbors in our communities that are without an address. I like to frame uh, my words by saying just because a person doesn't have a, have an address doesn't mean that they're not your neighbor, right? Um, that's grounded in the fact that we should be all about the whole community because I think that is the heartbeat of what God uh, communicates through uh, the scriptures. Um, when Jesus came and gave his life, he didn't give his life for a specific class of people, uh, people who have higher incomes uh, than others. He didn't give his life for a particular group of people in terms of uh, you know, one group of individuals who may be white or black or Asian American or Indian etc. He, he gave his life for the world. And um, that is connected to this idea of what Martin Luther King was talking about in terms of using the phraseology world house. Uh, I think what King was really trying to communicate is that uh, we live in a global community, that the world is our address. Um, there was a speech that he was given in 1967, one of his Christmas sermons, and he's communicating this idea that you can't wake up in the morning without having a global encounter, right? Hmm. Like, where did you get your coffee from? You know, who made the materials uh, that uh, provided your clothing, right? Uh, your favorite piece of clothing, where did your decor come from? I mean, we could push that uh, to talk about who created the furniture uh, in your house or who created the cups or your favorite pair of earrings, where were they trans um, imported from? And so to even exist and to breathe communicates that we're all interconnected, uh, that God is a mosaic. God is uh, much more diverse than we allow our minds to imagine. And so that informs a lot of the work that I do because I'm really after affirming the dignity of those who have been excluded in society, 
who have been criminalized in many ways and how laws and ordinances have communicated this message that because you are poor or houseless that you are somehow lazy or uh, have a character flaw or some type of moral issue. I mean, I've met people living on the streets that know more Bible than uh, people who grab a cup of coffee and sit in the service on Sunday mornings. And so um, there's real uh, misconceptions and myths around what it means to live without an address. I mean, the fact that we worship a savior that experienced acute homelessness uh, during his earthly ministry, but yet will in turn walk past someone without an address real time in modern society uh, says a lot about what we believe and how we believe it, right? Um, It's of my opinion that how you treat someone actually says a lot about what you're contributing to this world, but it also uh, informs us of what's in your heart. And uh, through the work of Love Beyond Walls, we have, you know, uh, provided community for individuals without an address, uh, leveraging the power of community to help people uh, get access to uh, basic necessities, but also housing and job employment. But much more than that, having their stories humanized in a way that people have empathy and compassion towards uh, people. Um, uh, using the framework of the uh, the Good Samaritan, have been left on the side of the road half dead, right? Mm-hmm. How do we get people to stop walking by and take notice, uh, come to where people are, and then sacrifice something? I, I don't think uh, that you can really achieve justice or be effective or a contributor to the whole community if you are not sacrificing something. I mean, you think about it, None of us are self-made, right? We're all standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before us, and which also uh, speaks to how we should also be about contributing to the the fabric of social change, but also um, uh, to to the empowerment of our neighbor, that what I do for someone else, I'm also doing for myself. And so I've been doing this work eight years. really excited about it and uh, just grateful to have a conversation with you. Yeah, no, I am, I've just, I've been doing some recent study um, just on connectedness and recognizing that that's just, that's our part of our DNA to want to belong and to want to be both the wanting to belong and the birthright to belong, <laughs> to be connected to people is just part of the Imago day of God. Because if it was not true, then when he created man, he would not have said, this is good. But then he realized like, it's not good for him to be alone. So let me make this woman. And now they have each other, right? Um, and you you mentioned just, I was just kind of reading just some of the back background of your recent book, that community is the prerequisite to solve injustice. I wanted to to camp there for just a second because that idea of, the idea of justice, I think scares people to like go and do a work, right? Like if you say, I wanna do work in the work of justice, it scares people from a position of, um, I don't wanna go alone, right? But then when we see people moving 
we wonder like, well, where do I fit in? Or little old me, how can I make a difference if I'm not, you know what I mean? If I'm not a part of a massive movement, how do I do something? But to know that we were wired to be connected to each other, to do this thing together, um, I would just love to hear your heart um, and I don't want to call it advice, but your wisdom on like, how do we help people to recognize that like that nudge that you feel inside of you, both for the being a part of something and to move in the direction of justice, like don't ignore it. How do we help people move in that? Yeah, that, that's a loaded question. Um, so because I am a, uh, a public policy uh, student um, doing a program, my PhD, uh, I am wired to see um, justice issues as related to uh, policy issues. And, and so the definition of public policy within itself is a system of laws or uh, regulatory measures or courses of action uh, that are put into place to benefit the populace, right? Or the general public, right? So if there's an issue where, you know, um, let's just say a traffic light, uh, it doesn't hold long enough and the stu students walk across the street and we've seen several students get hit by cars because the, the traffic light issue is causing this problem, right? Public policy seeks to define something that is irregular in society and come up with a law or some type of measure or a course of action to protect the right of the citizens or to provide some type of right uh, course of action, right? But then we have to understand, okay, well, who has access to the political plot process? Who are the actors or the officials that get a chance to make these decisions? Who are those, whose knowledge, right? Who does it benefit? Um, uh, in what ways does it benefit? Who are the um, problems in that are defined in the context of the policy that is being written? Who are the villains, right? Because every uh, policy has uh, a, a hero and a villain, right? And so when, uh, thinking about uh, public policy, you also have to think about uh, policy analysis, right? Um, and those persons who actually analyze what public policy is get, get a chance to not only look at the problem, but come up with the best solutions, right? And so with the political process within itself, there are hidden power dynamics that we don't get a chance to see, right? Um, who is influencing these policies, who are coming up with these rules, who are, who's analyzing it, and who does it benefit, and, but also who does it disadvantage, okay? In many ways, uh, we have seen policies disadvantage uh, communities of people, for instance, uh, because my work is centered around uh, people experiencing homelessness, we've seen laws and ordinances pop up all around uh, the United States uh, you know, banning people from standing or sitting in public places, uh, sleeping in public places like there is a city, even um, in January, uh, city council officials uh, totally outright banned sleeping in public period, right, uh, which violates the constitutional rights of pr practicing law, uh, life sustaining activities, if you don't have anywhere to go. Now there are bed shortages um, all across the country. 
And if you don't have a bed, where else can you sleep if you don't have a place to sleep, right? And so there are ordinances that criminalize what it means to be uh, homeless. And what I mean by criminalization of homelessness is that you are viewed through a criminal lens. Uh, your very existence um, is viewed in a criminal way. And that spills over into the populace or the general public where if a person is standing outside of a business, uh, instead of seeing them as people going through problems, we see them as the problem. And so our cities respond with hostile architecture, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on boulders, putting them underneath bridges to displace people, but not necessarily solving the issue. And the injustice in that is that we are treating people like trash versus treating people as human beings that it, that's worthy of being uh, affirmed, right? That's worthy of being included in the whole community. So when I see injustice in the world, I go, okay, who, 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 who is firstly uh, responsible, right? And what solutions need to be developed and how can we have the greatest impact uh, amongst those who a bad policy or some type of injustice is affecting. Well, we got to start with the community because we have to say, who are the stakeholders in the community? Who are we inviting uh, to the table and who, who are we excluding? Uh, who, who are we um, uh, listening to in terms of how we should solve this solution? And in most cases, um, people who are actually providing problem, uh, problem solving skills to solutions aren't necessary to necessarily the people that are being affected, right? So how do we include uh, even those persons who have been affected by whatever um, issue may be plaguing this community into the conversation to get the, the best um, uh, empirical evidence, so to speak, to actually solve these problems. And so when I talk about uh, justice is, a, is derived in community, I'm simply saying that it takes everyone. It takes the persons who have resources and the persons who don't have resources. It takes persons who have particular skill sets in one area and persons that have particular skill sets in another area. Because at the end of the day, we are trying to achieve uh, the greatest possible potential for all of uh, the populace or citizens to have equal access to be able to reach their, their God-given potential, right? Um, if there is something that is posing a threat from you reaching your God-given potential, then how are we actually living out the gospel when Jesus says, I come to give you life and life more abundantly, right? We have to remove those barriers, right? So people can experience life more abundantly. And, you know, when... Um, Jesus is also talking about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, I've been known to talk about you can't love the neighbor unless you love the neighborhood that shaped that neighbor, right? And also you have to be concerned with the, the issues that that neighborhood faces, right? You can't isolate a neighbor from their social location and then isolate uh, the so social location from the neighbor. It's all one, right? Um, it, it leads me to think about what Martin Luther King was talking about in his, um, his critique on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, he, he talks about the man who uh, is on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls among thieves, right? 
the very nature that he fell among thieves should lead us to question, well, why were there thieves in the environment? What was going on so wrong in Jericho that it produced the type of crime that would lead people uh, on the side of the road half dead? And so I think uh, even having a community of people that could really wrestle with the questions that we don't normally think about on the surface to help us like go deeper to, to, to achieve and arrive at some answers can help us to, to have the types of clues to know how we are needed uh, in the fabric of this type of change that's needed, right? Um, when, we, when we really sit with those questions and ask ourselves um, the questions that may lead us to some answers that are uncomfortable, but it also, when we sit with those uncomfortable answers, um, I think the disruption in itself should disrupt us, right? Uh, so we can become change agents, right? Um, change doesn't happen without inconvenience. And I think sometimes people think that change will only happen uh, in a vacuum, uh, that will, if we theoretically think about change or if we talk about it enough in a sermon or if we you know, <laughs> get with our uh, friends who are just like us, uh, then change will happen. No, change happens, like you said earlier, with friction, right? Um, there is no change without disruption. And I think a part of the process and in entering into the space of community, we have to open ourselves up. We have to think deeper about uh, issues related to injustice, right? Because injustice to your neighbor may not be injustice to you, but do you love your neighbor enough to allow the injustice that is affecting that neighbor to also affect you because you're called to love God with everything, but your neighbor as yourself, right? Uh, that's a different level of following Jesus, right? That he was touched with the infirmities of the woman with the issue of blood. He was touched so much that his friend died that he wept, right? can we be touched in the same way as what I'm posing? And then after we are touched, can we offer ourselves up to be a part of the community that, that, that creates the change? Hmm. Goodness. I'm trying to take notes while you're talking and my hands cramping <laughs> because I could just literally turn the mic over to you and just let you talk because man, just what you said there was just enough to teach thousand lessons, even just the other day. I've been trying to post um, on Facebook just these uh, thought-provoking questions that really make people pause and look inwardly. And the other day, I posed that question of, is it possible to love your neighbor more than you love yourself? And I got a wide range of answers. Um, some of them were hyper-religious. Some of them were a hard yes. Some of them were a hard no. And then there were the people that paused and said, in a performative way, yes. In a performative way to mm. check the box and say I did it. Right. Yeah. And there were the people that said, if I don't love me, it's impossible for me to love my neighbor. And if I don't think anything's wrong with me, how could there possibly be anything wrong with my neighbor? To what you just said of an injustice to your neighbor may not be the injustice to yourself. Mm. Yes. You know, that's such uh, a great point, and I'm glad you, you know, are putting those types of questions out uh, into the world, um, because, you know, we also have to, to, to question whose love, 
Hmm. You know, it says love, love God with everything, right? Because we are responding to the love that God, is, it, the scriptures are clear. He first loved us, right? Right. Um, I don't think we fully grasp what that love really entails. I think the best of our ability, we try to get as close as possible based upon how we've experienced love in our own personal lives. And that love looks different for so many different people. I mean, you think about uh, the children that were abused, that were abandoned, um, you know, people go through traumatic experiences, all sorts of different um, definitions or ideologies surrounding what love actually is that I, I don't think our, our finiteness gives us a, a good picture of, you know, the love that God wants us to fully embody. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're not practicing and, and trying to arrive at those places, but I think sometimes our own, you know, presuppositions or our existential experiences informs how we treat other people, right? Um, and that is something that we also need to consider. I mean, I, I think about my uh, my own self and, you know, how, how I grew up in, you know, as a child, the things that I experienced. So it, it's hard sometimes, you know, for me to even, uh, I'm, I'm getting a chance to love my kids in a way that I was never loved, right? Um, which is possible if you do the work, you, you know, you go to counseling, you realize uh, things that were missing, um, you develop skills and all of those things, but sometimes it still feels ironic, right? Um, that I am giving away something that, you know, a part of me never had. Um, and a part of that is restorative uh, and, and what God is doing within me, but a part of it too is like, I ha you have to work to do that. It just doesn't show up. Um, and you won't get it perfect always. But I think the goal that you're uh, lifting up is that you try. Yeah. And that you uh, continue to lean in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just like the beauty of that of just the re redemptive restorative work of whether it's reparenting, um, being honest with what your own experience was, recognizing that your experience was not the totality of what life is, that there are so many other lived experiences, even in the fact that like my understanding of poverty is going to be different than someone else's understanding of poverty. And someone may have looked at my lived poverty that I grew up in straight up poverty and someone who actually lived in a position of poverty that's completely different than mine could very well look in my deep well of poverty and say, that was not poverty. You have no idea what poverty actually is, right? And, and not that we're here to compare poverty, right? But we are here to say that like, just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that it's not happening the same with love, right? Because a person, to your point, a person that may have grown up in an abusive, um, loveless childhood 
they don't have that to offer until they've actually received it themselves. So it is impossible to love their neighbor as they love themselves, right? And then also on the flip side of that coin is that a person who has lived in a home that maybe was just full of love, just full of Christ's love, parents, like all of it, you name it. It just was like the Cosby's on steroids. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and we're looking at it like, is that just TV love? Or, but because I had it in my house, but then they may still not know how to love a neighbor if the neighbor doesn't look like what they saw happening in their home. To literally look at someone else's story and say, that's not possible according to my lens of even what you had said um, of just the proximity that we allow ourselves to be within a community, it dictates our perception of what is, what isn't, what's possible, what's made up, what we thought we only heard in the news, you know what I mean? Because literally around the corner from you, across the street from you, could be someone living way beneath what you are living, whether we're looking at monetary poverty or heartbrokenness, mental, you know. Um, and I love that you have, everything you've said, you keep coming back to the gospel to help people to recognize that this is not a man-made conversation or somebody, you know, soapboxing. That this is the gospel. This is the ask of God. This is the commission of Christ that we would also love others the way that he's loved us, you know, and even yeah. that, uh, that message of loving God with our whole self. That's my verse of the year, Deuteronomy six, four through six, that the Lord is one and you shall love him with all of who you are. And to know that the root of that scripture, which is echoed in the new Testament, it is not just hearing with our ears, but it's an obedience it's a call to just this oneness of yourself, calling other people into it, and then coming together to move in the direction of Christ. Um, yeah, man, there's so many other directions that I want to go in this conversation. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, you mentioned something um, in our conversation, and I saw this even on your Instagram feed, that homelessness is not a crime. Um, and that when I read it, like my heart sank because to know that people are criminalized for the simple fact of we don't know their story. And I remember going out on a community service project once and my husband asked a gentleman who looked to be the age of one of my kids, my kids are college age. And he asked the gentleman like, you know, what's going on? And the guy just, his head immediately dropped in shame. And just to like, to, to see him, all I could think was that was my son that made a wrong decision and now he's out on the street. What's the crime? What's the crime? And am, am I not willing to give him a second chance where I would want mercy and a second chance on something that I did wrong? Yeah. Um. I think um, there has been a, it's, it's called the, um, um, 
you know, the stratification effect or uh, Horatio Alger's myth, right? Um, Horatio Alger was this, I think he was a novelist uh, that first coined this, this idea of going from rags to riches, right? Um, this whole narrative that to exist in this country um, that you can go from rags to riches, this American dream myth uh, that talks about how if you work hard enough, um, if you put in your own willpower and your ingenuity that you can, you know, kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And uh, I think Martin Luther King uh, raised the point during the civil rights era is what if you didn't get any boots, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing if we look metaphorically at life or um, this access to the to upward more mobility as a track, right? Everybody has, uh, you know, as a part of the race of life, right? We're running this race. Uh, but my my particular questioning is what what if you never had access to to be close to a track, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't been been there, and so I think this narrative of you know everybody has access, which is also a myth, has created uh, this sense of shaming, so to speak, um, where we begin to question individuals' uh, drive, you know, where we say, well, why aren't you working hard enough? Well, we know uh, that working hard enough right now, uh, even if you're making a minimum wage, won't get you a one-bedroom apartment in no county in the country, you can't afford it, right? Um, that there are people who work 40 to 60, sometimes 80 hours a week, and they still have more month at the end of their money, right? Hmm. And so I think these types of myths uh, has contributed to how we view people mixed in with how we talk about what it means to be poor, right? Um, there was a politicians in the 70s that used his political rhetoric um, and political political framing, right? Uh, using the words to kind of cast uh, how we should think about things. I mean, <laughs> we see that all the time yeah. or have seen it all the time. Um, and, and so uh, there is this, this story called the Welfare Queen, right? You can look it up that was leveraged by a politician to uh, 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 switch how they were doing uh, tax cuts and tax benefits, but he leveraged uh, the story of poor people to communicate poor people get over on the system, right? That's how that derives. What, like uh, poor people only wanna benefit and sit back and be lazy and do nothing right that came from political rhetoric and people don't even know the origins of how they believe what they believe and so i really think that we need to unpack narratives and narrative formations and uh narrative formations lend themselves to social construction social constructions is what we think about socially about something uh, that we see in the present moment and most times uh, we are thinking about these things not knowing how they originated, right? And I think that lends itself to how we see people, how we distance ourselves from people, how we criminalize people, 
because oftentimes we are going based upon some narrative that we received or that has been embedded and reinforced by media and reinforced by third party persons and never including the persons that are actually going uh, through those struggles. Uh, we need to deconstruct those. And, uh, you know, in my first book, uh, I See You, uh, there's a part in the book where I, I talk about the seven whys. You have to, uh, why you're why. You have to question yourself over and over again to understand or really unpack how you arrived at this thought. And I use a story of a person experiencing homelessness um, that we were encountering. And we had a volunteer present and the person had a cell phone and the volunteer made this very uh, demeaning statement of how how do they get a chance to, to get a cell phone? And I mean, it was just reeling off um, and questioning this person's ability to have access to a cell phone or new shoes, not understanding that somebody could have possibly donated them, et cetera. And there was this moment where I was just like, yeah, you gotta, why you're why? You gotta, uh, you know, if you have this thought, you need to ask yourself, well, why do I think this? Uh, that will lead you to understanding, well, where did I get this information from? You know, well, you ask again, well, why do why does that person or why do those group of people think this about that? And they, you know, it kind of leads you down this rabbit trail so you can like un tear apart every single aspect of it so you can arrive at fully seeing a person as a uh, 100% human, right? Because right. I think oftentimes we forget that, you know, seeing people is just not enough because you could see somebody but not have proximity and that lack of proximity will still lead you to assumptions and judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, it, it just kind of lends itself to uh, King's philosophy of, of you can't hate someone up close. He says the thing that keeps us apart is because we, we haven't spent time with one another. And... Um, most times people don't spend time with other people because they feared them in some way. But my questioning is, when was the last time you've been hurt or harmed by someone experiencing homelessness? As a matter of fact, John Hopkins uh, Hospital did research years ago that said there are people with homes that commit more violent crimes than people who are actually living on the streets. And so we have all of these myths that have formulated and created these false narratives that keep us from loving people in the ways that they should be loved because we believe lies, right? Um, but Jesus came to say the truth, the truth, you should know the truth and truth shall set you what? Free, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we push back against that truth because we, we believe the lie so much. <laughs> and so we aren't free and we're not having uh, the type of liberty or liberation needed uh, to fully engage and um, love our neighbors. Listen, our my whole mission in life is to remind people of the freedom that it says in Galatians, in the message translation, it says not just kind of free, but like free, free, like for real free. <laughs> like you have actually been set free. And we have a saying around here of hurt people might hurt people, but free people, free people. So Having said all that, Amen. <laughs> um, Amen. we're going to wrap up this conversation with just a couple of lighthearted questions. The first one, God always uses an image of a cup to remind me of the work that he's doing in each one of us. Um, and, and he's told me time and again that when you bump up against people, 
we're talking proximity and neighbors and hurt people. When you bump up against somebody, whatever is in you will automatically pour out of you. So I would love to know from you, what is in your cup right now? If you had to identify one thing that you know would pour out, what's one thing in your cup? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really, that's a really great question. Um, I guess at this present moment, I am, I am seeking to be a student and, you know, often say in entrepreneurship, et cetera, you have to become a questionnaire or a questionnaire, right? Um, that at any given moment, you can learn from any, anyone, anywhere, anytime uh, that, you know, your, your, your next best expert could be someone that you've overlooked the whole time. Mm. Uh, they could be someone who has just been seasoned at surviving life. They don't have to necessarily be in the public eye. Your greatest wisdom could come from a child, right? I think it's all on our interpretation and how we interpret that and apply it to ourselves. And so uh, for me, I've just been um, really observational and trying to learn from the stories of others and listen um, and just ask the types of questions of people that they aren't normally asked, one, so they can feel seen and heard, but two, so I could learn. Um, That's good. You know, yeah. That's good. All right, last question, super lighthearted. If I opened up your playlist of your anthem songs, <laughs> what would be, what's one song that's on that playlist? Just one. I know that's a tough one to try to pull one. Doesn't have to be top, but what's one song on your playlist? Yeah, um, it's Outkast, uh, and the song is In Due Time, and uh, here's why. There's a, a like a chorus, uh, CeeLo Green uh, says- I'm smiling because I was just listening to this song the other yeah, day. <laughs> it says, you just keep your faith in me. Don't act impatiently. You'll get there or you'll get where you need to be in due time. Even when things are slow, hold on and don't let go. I'll give you what I owe in due time. And it, it's just a song that reminds you to stay committed to the, the process and the journey. And um, I don't know, I'm from the, I'm from the ATL. So yeah, it's one of my tracks. Yeah. 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 I love it. It's wild. We were watching something the other day some show and or no we were watching the playoffs and as it was going to commercial break it came on and I I wasn't paying attention to the playoffs but I heard the song and I looked at my husband was like what song was that and he just started rolling off his tongue <laughs> shout <laughs> out all the lyrics so <laughs> yeah shout out to your husband That's yeah <laughs> right yeah and we're from Ohio but he is an outcast fanatic so well, listen, Terrence, I really do appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm grateful for your heart um, and the legacy that you're leaving. And just to, to echo what you've said of the opportunity that you get to lead your children in a way that you were not um, breaking those generational curses, reparenting, just changing 
just the fabric of our culture starting in our homes because that's where all this work begins right but then letting your son see the example of what what it looks like to not just talk about it but be about it and I'm grateful um I, I pray that this is not the last time that you and I get a chance to talk um I'm like my my Amazon cart is like stacked with all your books and I have like all these other books to read. So I'm like, I can't grab them all. Um, but I, I love what you said about being a student because I am a student and a researcher at heart and I can't wait to dive into just the work that you've done um, really just to, to learn it, to learn it and then just pour it out wherever I can, whoever I bump into. Um, but I'm in all honesty, I've, I'm convicted just with a lot of what you just talked about of really, am I connected to my neighbors and am I paying more attention to who is just around me? You know what I mean? So um, I appreciate you. I want to honor your time and, and your commitment and let you get to your family. Um, and if there's anything that I can do to really help you move your mission, um, this microphone is yours like that is no exaggeration. If you ever want to just come and just really educate us, I will have, you can have my microphone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I appreciate it. And uh, definitely grateful to be a part of your community. And I hope whoever listens to this is inspired. And, uh, you know, I would just leave people with this. You are needed. Amen. Amen. There's no follow up with that. Well, y'all, I hope that you were blessed by this episode. And as always, like we start the show, we finish the show. I pray that this conversation really did help you to adjust your focus. And it is never me pointing my finger at you to shame you. In fact, I say shame off you. And I invite you to lean in. If you have to go back, play it again and take notes, take notes. In the show notes, you will find all of the information to stay connected to Terrence to grab his books off of Amazon. And I really do pray that this gets you um, out into your community to serve and to look like Jesus. Um, until the next time, y'all, you be blessed and we will chat with you later.